Welcome to It's All Recruiting, the show that looks at everything through the lens of recruiting. I'm your host, Jim Stroud. Uh, if you would, please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Jeff Amster, and I'm the CEO and founder of First Screen, which is an AI platform that helps recruiters automate the uh, initial interview process. Um, I've been uh, kind of incorporated since the end of 2017, and our platform's won four different awards so far. I myself have been in recruiting for uh, over 15 years so far, and uh, and I'm also certified in targeted selection. So here to help in making kind of strides in, in helping recruiters kind of get time back. Cool. So creating award-winning software <laughs> for recruiters, is that basically taking recruiters' jobs away? No, no, absolutely not. No, the it's really all about getting time back, right? Mm. I've talked with so many different recruiters over the course of time. And uh, even in myself, in my own career, when I've had to do lots of recruiting, I always ended up getting the same sorts of pain points, right? Okay. I would come across uh, all these resumes that would come to my, to my inbox and I would, you know, either through an agency or through just internal recruiting. And I would, they'd look great, right? And so I'd get on the phone with these people and within like a minute or so, I would just realize that they're really not a great fit for the role, but now you're stuck on the phone, right? And you're now just <laughs> yeah. sitting on the phone for like 35, 45 minutes being polite and, you know, obviously not hurting your brand. And I realized a couple of years, I said, this is ridiculous, right? So this platform is here to really help better match together uh, candidates and their recruiters and hiring managers by, by really allowing the candidates to talk through their experiences in a very engaging, quick way, but at the same time, speeding up the process for the recruiter to understand this is someone we really want to kind of get deep down into the details with, or maybe there's a different role or a different opportunity for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. It does. It's an interesting problem you're, you're tackling because there are a lot of challenges out there with a lot of the uh, tools out there, um, like applicant tracking systems. How do you feel about some of the challenges around those? Yeah, so applicant tracking systems typically do a, a good job of just tracking through the life cycle, right? They're not really necessarily pre-qualifying or making sure that a person's a good fit. Um, you have a lot of systems out there that'll like parse resumes, et cetera. But even now, like with the whole blasting of resumes and even some of the consumer-based AI systems that generate resumes for you, there's a lot of bloating that happens, right? Mm. And so the, you know, the resumes used to be this golden standard for how a, a recruiter or a company could really tell if a, a a candidate was going to be a good fit for a role. And now you really just don't know, right? You need to get to that next level and really have that conversation or really understand what their background is and their skills are to see if they're a good fit. So applicant tracking systems will track a candidate, but they don't do that pre-qualification side, right? And that's where a lot of the pain is right now in, in you know, getting people through the life cycle. Well, how do you feel about uh, video hiring solutions? Because uh, there's a lot of <laughs> some controversy around that as well. There is. There, yeah, we've actually done a lot of research with candidates, uh, over 100 um, uh, or even a lot more, that uh, it was really the same response over and over again. It was, it was this kind of like creepy factor, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they had the cameras on them and they said they, they couldn't feel really natural being able to really tell about their experiences because they were so worried about oh, what if they look wrong, you know, the wrong way or if they're sweating or you know, something that might indicate that they wouldn't be a good fit. So 
um, I've seen across the board that people just have this really like ick feeling with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's obviously other solutions out there, even our own platform that does automated phone interviews, which are, uh, we've done research and people have said across the board, it's a much more natural conversation, mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, it's an opportunity. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, well, what do you, let me ask you this. What do you think about uh, coding solutions where developers will just jump up there, jump up there, <laughs> the developer will just start coding away and the way they code something will determine how qualified they are. What do you think about that? So I think it's a good concept. The challenge there is that a lot of those type of coding exercises actually kind of genericize a role, right? So like if, if you're looking for, let's say a Java developer, and they're specifically going to be in the role like coding uh, interactions with another cloud system or something that's really specific to that role, a lot of those coding solutions really are, are more generic to say, just do you know how to code Java, right? So it doesn't necessarily qualify you for the role. It doesn't really make sure that you're going to be successful in that role in the future. And it's, it's unfortunate because that's really what recruiters and hiring managers are looking for, right? You know, there's a, a list of requirements, but more specifically, there's kind of like those day-to-day -day goals and accomplishments that they're expecting the candidate to be able to do, that they, that's what they're trying to qualify for. So unfortunately, I don't know if it's necessarily the best use of time. And in fact, because those exercises take a very long time, typically 45 minutes or longer, I mean, that's time, especially in this market. Developers are like, eh, you know what, I could be spending an hour making such, such amount of money. I, I don't want to be spending it coding for free, you know? You know, it's interesting you said that. I'm, I'm just throwing something up against the wall here. But if I were hiring uh, a bunch of coders, one thing I might think about is um, advertising small projects, maybe, and then see how to do on small projects. Like I know you have platforms like Upwork, for example, where you can post a project and people can do a little project. And then you can evaluate, you know, how well they are uh, performing based on a small project. Could be a way to getting work done. It could be a way of developers not feeling like their time is being wasted. It's sort of a win-win. What, what do you think about that kind of idea? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that kind of plays into the gig economy. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people have kind of gone that route. Um, more traditionally, though, that, that's actually what traditional contracting had become, right? Where people actually, maybe not for like some one or two week type deals, but, you know, three, six months to really kind of try before you buy type of methodology. Mm -hmm. Uh, unfortunately, what ended up happening with especially larger organizations is they would keep a contractor for, for multiple years, right? Because they're like, oh, well, we don't have to pay benefits. So, you know, we're going to just continue as is. Um, and so the benefit to the candidate who really wants to become, let's say, a full-time employee, they lose that, that chance. And so, you know, we're in a market right now where especially a job seeker market where it, it's really become transactionary and, and you've just kind of run into a oh, I'll just grab this, this opportunity here, and oh, I'll just grab this opportunity here. But that long-term mentality where you're trying to invest into a company as a candidate turned into employee, you, you've really lost a lot of those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking in my head, as you were saying, I'm thinking about different um, talent pipeline kind of headaches that people tend to deal with uh, in their day-to-day. -day. Uh, what, what are, From your viewpoint, what do you think are some of the top uh, talent pipeline headaches out there that companies deal with? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I mean, I think a lot of it really does come to, you know, resume review um, uh, and, and the burdened work, right? If you think about all the work that a recruiter typically does during the day, a lot of it comes to having to review resumes, um, you know, 
getting people on the phone that seem to be good, but then they're obviously again wasting time on the phone. Yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of um, uh, consistency issues, right? So like if you're a recruiter and you're uh, starting a fresh interview at the beginning of your day at 9 a.m. and it's now like happy hour time or you're at the end of the day. <laughs> right. And the type of, you know, patience or, uh, you know, level of consistency of how you deliver your interview or even assess that interview is going to be very different. So there's a lot of challenges um, in, in that type of world. Uh, you know, it's that lack of time that really is a big uh, uh, pain point from the recruiter's perspective to be able to to spend more time on strategic things, right? You know, mm-hmm. where they would want to look at bigger, diverse uh, candidate pools, where they want to be able to, to build relationships with their hiring managers. Uh, they just don't have that same kind of time available because they're doing kind of a lot of this burden work. Even just the time scheduling uh, interviews itself can be a real pain. I mean, again, in this more job seeker oriented market, you know, most people already have jobs, right? So they're not yeah. going to be able to easily interview in the middle of the workday. And so that flexibility isn't there as well. You know, it's interesting you say that because I'm thinking about something I read not too long ago. Uh, this uh, woman, her name was Esther, and she created a bot. It's called EsterBot. So anyone want to look it up online, E-S-T-H-E-R-B-O-T, EsterBot. And it was a bot designed for, inter- for interacting with recruiters. So she was in a fortunate position to have recruiters call her all the time. <laughs> and so she just created a bot to talk to the recruiters on her behalf, uh, which I thought was uh, <laughs> interesting from a job figure perspective. But I'm curious, what do you think about chatbots from, from that perspective, from candidates using them, but also, of course, from recruiters using them in their process? What do you think about those? Yeah, I mean, I think chatbots are interesting. The real, and I know they're even getting pretty popular now, the, the yeah. challenge is that the the candidate experience is not that great, right? Mm. I mean, you're trying to get a quick answer, like how many years have you uh, been a project manager, right? Typing 25 and hitting enter is not a big deal, right? 15 mm, years, right. years, whatever, right. right? But now the moment you want to say, well, tell me about a time when one of your projects started to fall behind schedule, you know, what were the actions that you took? Like, what were the different things you had to evaluate? You know, how did you resolve that situation? you're not going to be typing out a three page paragraph with a chatbot to really give the sense of your sense of skills and experiences to show that you have the capabilities to take on a role in the future. Mm -hmm. So the, I think where it kind of falls short is that rich experience. Um, and, and that's really an opportunity for candidates to show off, right. To showcase their abilities to then meet that role. So, at the end of the day, the recruiters and the hiring managers are the ones that need to be like, oh, yeah, here are the kind of big, big term, big, you know, cloud in the sky type of goals that we want this job to be able to do, you know, this person to be able to do for this job. Mm-hmm. And, and just typing a, a, you know, two or three character type answer is not going to be able to give them that type of assurance that if they bring them in, they're going to be a good fit for, you know. Uh, for a role. Yeah, I'm wondering if that has anything to do with this phenomenon called ghosting, where candidates will accept the role, uh, get hired at times, and then just not show up. <laughs> and, you know, maybe it's me, maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. I, I would never think about uh, accepting a role if I wasn't going to show up uh, to do the job. Uh, what, do, what do you think about that? What is your initial reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, ghosting is definitely a problem. Um, it is, 
I'd say more prevalent in the last, you know, few years, uh, especially as the unemployment rate has dropped considerably. Um, the challenge, I think, is, is the speed. You know, the recruiting uh, speed is so slow uh, mm -hmm. to, to really get people through the life cycle uh, from initial interest to getting them into the interviews and then obviously, you know, onboarded into an organization. That whole process takes between, I think they said, 25 to 50 days. Um, and, you know, in this market, wow. a better opportunity comes along and, you know, you're snatching up that candidate. So, and the candidate's going to jump, honestly, because they want to get employed as quickly as possible. Sure, sure. So, yeah, it's a big problem right now. And, of course, you know, if the economy shifts and all of a sudden there's lots and lots of uh, job seekers on the market and uh, the demand is not as high, you know, then, then it kind of shifts the other direction. But it's really, I think, an opportunity for organizations to be able to uh, uh, speed up their entire uh, candidate lifecycle whatever tools they have available to be able to then, you know, get people, secure them so they don't then, you know, just jump uh, at the first uh, quick opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it really speaks to how well a company has their recruitment process in place for sure, for sure. Um, I know that just prior to our call, you were sharing with me some statistics, some things you read out there that are really interesting around um, AI and other things. Can you rail off a couple of them for me? Because I thought they were really interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I was uh, doing just a little bit of research and, uh, you know, there were a lot of reports and surveys that came out this year uh, around some of the challenges and how AI is actually helping to try to resolve them. Uh, for example, uh, there was a, a key Zoom Info Insight report that came out that said that 27% of recruiters said that a long hiring process is hurting their attempts at hiring new candidates. So it's talking again about this this challenge with being able to snag uh, really, you know, true talent candidates quickly. Sure. Um, you know, Deloitte did a, a lot of research around this. In fact, they uh, released a study showing that, uh, you know, 45% of all the employers out there are right now struggling to find the right talent for their open positions. So it's all talking to this really big gap in, in finding a way to quickly understand if someone's a good fit and then being able to secure them uh, quickly into the right role. You know, when, when, you, when you cite that stat to me, I always wonder, well, I always reflect back on previous recruiting, uh, <laughs> my previous recruiting life. And I always last manage, it's okay, okay, if I find this perfect person for you that hits every box, will you hire them today? And they'll say, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But then you find them, people who are pretty much, I don't say perfect, but pretty close to what they want. And they're still slow to just say, yes, I'm going to hire this person or yes, I'm going to make them an offer. You know, why do you think that is? You think that it's a situation where uh, everything is a rush, but not really <laughs> a rush? Or I mean, what, why do you think that that's the case? Because I've seen that throughout my career so many times. So I, I think it really has shifted over time, right? I mean, if you look at roles 20, 30 years ago, it was it was all about people just getting the technical skills, whether it's a truly technical role or a quasi-technical role, to just get kind of butts in seats, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do they have the, uh, at the time, you know, the early Salesforce experience, or do they have Java's experience or whatever? And if so, just get them coding. That's changed, right? A lot of uh, candidates really across the board 
all have a lot of technical skills now. And now what is that differentiating factor? It's the soft skills, right? Mm. Can they lead mm-hmm. the team? Can they talk about their experiences? Can they communicate well? Can they handle conflicts uh, between them and colleagues, right? These are the, the things that you know, previously weren't a factor, but really should be evaluated as part of that overall conversation to say if someone's going to be a really good fit or not. And I bet you, to your point of, you know, are they kind of sitting on this on the fence or not? Well, they probably, from a skill set perspective, probably aren't sitting on the fence. They probably say, yeah, you know, they probably have what it takes to do it, maybe. The problem is, are they going to get into fights with coworkers because they have, let's say, a more brash uh, uh, type of personality? Or, mm-hmm. you know, does their, do they not have the ability to really uh, be outgoing enough to be able to lead a team or to lead uh, staff or, or manage a team uh, to be able to lead to those larger uh, goals of the organization. So that that might be kind of that holdback factor. And if there was a way to be able to to quickly uh, assess if they have those soft skills as well as those technical skills, I think you you would probably see that that decision making process speed up quite a bit. Yeah, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, if you do were to do a search on Indeed.com for the word interpersonal. You will see it cited on job descriptions, you know, from 20, 20 grand paying jobs to over 100K paying jobs. You know, it doesn't matter how much skill you have. If you can't deal with people, interact with them, then it, it just doesn't matter. So I, I, I think you, you have rightly, rightly hit the head on that one. Uh, you mentioned also, uh, again, prior to our call, some stats around how uh, recruiters are using artificial intelligence uh, to be more efficient. Can you uh, cite a couple of those? I think those were really interesting too, the ones you mentioned earlier. Yeah, so there was actually some very interesting work around how they're starting to adopt uh, AI to be able to help uh, make everyone's lives more efficient. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're still kind of at the beginning stages, right? Uh, But the fact that, so there was a a study done also by Deloitte about uh, being able to, how many companies were starting to modify their jobs to better work with AI technologies and automation technologies. And there was 61% of companies were starting to do this. So there's definitely a a shift uh, where things were like only like, oh, only the early, early stage adopters were starting to look at AI and new technologies. We're saying now over half of companies are either planning or budgeting for these types of technologies to employ into their their processes for for hiring uh, using newer technologies. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe by 2020, uh, well, that's well, not that so far away. It's only a few months away. Wow. <laughs> maybe by 2025, uh, all of this AI and recruiting will be pretty much standard because everyone's playing around with it now. I'm planning to. So by five years out, it'll be pretty standard, you think? Oh, definitely. I definitely think so. And, and I think it's still a reminder that the whole point of these systems is not to replace people's jobs right? Mm -hmm. It's helping people work smarter so that they can be able to focus on even larger strategic things for the organization or even take on more work, right? You know, there's times where you're, you're just overwhelmed, especially as a recruiter, you're just overwhelmed with the number of different kind of tasks. And a lot of them are just menial tasks that you're like, oh, like if there's only a way that I could make sure that the, you know, candidates coming in were really good from the get-go, then all of a sudden, you have that extra time to, to spend with your hiring manager. I mean, I've talked with so many hiring managers that were like, oh, if only like I could actually just talk with the recruiter and say, like, I know I gave the bullet points, like, you know, you have the job rack, right? And it's just like, here's boing, 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 here's the check boxes, right? But it's, but the job is really more than that, right? 
And so to be able to actually sit down and be like, all right, let's partner together and say like, what are the types of things you really want to hear from the candidate? What are the types of experiences do you really want to hear the candidate to know that they are going to be able to tackle this really well? That's, um, I think that's the key to be able to, to understand if this is going to be a, a really good fit or not. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of what you said uh, puts me in mind of candidate experience, candidate engagement, you know, because if we have all these tools, then it not only should make our lives as recruiters easier in engaging hiring manager, but it should also make the overall candidate experience, uh, the way we engage candidates, that much better as well. But I think there's still some challenges around that. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've probably seen this, I mean, as probably your audience has seen, you know, with, with reaching out to candidates mm. that there's a lot of, if you want to call it dissatisfaction with the overall candidate experience mm. uh, right now in the industry. I mean, uh, and I, I, we probably all have had this experience before where, you know, we've spent hours tailoring our resume for a particular role. So we've kind of are all buttoned up and you go through this like really long form submission process on a company website and then you, you submit and then you never hear ever again. You yeah. never hear and you're like, well, I just spent two hours, you know, really just customizing just for you, tailoring it just for you. So there's a lot of that kind of just disengagement and, and kind of just frustration in the market from candidates. Um, I know that there was actually a survey that Talentador had done uh, recently also that talked about, um, you know, that 80% of job seekers wouldn't apply to a company again if they had a, a bad uh, uh, experience, right? If they didn't have a really great engaging uh, um, kind of application yeah. experience, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they wouldn't even look at that company again. So, you know, part of the whole kind of, it's almost like dating, right? You, you want the candidate and the recruiter to be able to, to kind of talk through what's the company like? <laughs> right, you know, right. do you like are you going to have a great time? Like, do you meet everything that we need and you need? And it's like everyone has their, their needs being met, right? It's, it's a dance of sorts, right? So part of the interview experience really should be about talking about the company from a culture perspective, talking about the company from a branding perspective. And if there are tools on the market that can help, um, you know, em employ that as part of the, the kind of assessment uh, stage, even better. Then you're now kind of hooking those candidates even before uh, they even get too far down the line. Yeah, you know, the irony of a lot of that is that according to this um, report you shared with me, uh, the, I remember reading it earlier about this Google Jobs report that 85% of candidates uh, that didn't get the job believe that a machine looked at, didn't look at, the, that a real person, excuse me, did not look at their resume, but that a machine disqualified them. And, you know, I don't, I don't know um, how false that is. I mean, <laughs> it might be, you know, you put the resumes into the ATS, into the black hole, and if the machine doesn't pull it up when a recruiter does a search, then chances are, you know, I, I wonder if there is some sort of AI that can say, okay, this percentage of the people in your database are qualified for this percentage of your jobs. You know, that would, that would be a killer app for me. I'd like to see somebody develop that. Yeah. Well, we can definitely talk about uh, some <laughs> interesting uh, opportunities, uh, but I mean, if you think even about the, that applicant tracking systems that, that exist today, a lot of them are actually pretty complex, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've talked with a lot of recruiters actually that, um, you know, they're not technical folks. So like writing queries and advanced Boolean logic to say like, 
include this and don't include this and like have this and like parentheses, parentheses. And like, it becomes so complex that I bet you a lot of candidates that are actually really good for a role are eliminated by, by accident because they're not even uh, in that, you know, kind of advanced query logic that uh, recruiters are having to put together. So I think part of also finding new tools and services out there that are a good fit should be like extremely easy to use, right? And this should be in any case, it doesn't matter, not even in HR, but just in general, right? Like we're at a point where all the applications out there should be just very easy to use so you can just get the job done. True, true. Now, speaking of AI, I saw on your website that First Screen is an automated phone interview platform. Uh, what does that mean for my audience? <laughs> Why should they care? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's actually this is a real opportunity for a lot of recruiters out there. And it doesn't matter if it's an agency or kind of in-house uh, HR, because it, this platform really does the, the same thing for both. You know, overall, we're basically empowering recruiters to set up these automated interviews so that the candidates can take these interviews, these automated phone interviews, when they're comfortable and ready, right? So you don't have to schedule things at, uh, you know, during the workday, especially since most people are employed. Um, you know, you can do it if the candidate is available only at, you know, 10 p.m., 10.30 after the kids are asleep, like they could do it then. It's, it's all when they're comfortable. And so, you know, there's a lot of the factors that we were kind of talking about even during the conversation today that our platform first screen really helps take care of for a lot of uh, companies. So, for example, that, that burdened work that we were talking about, yep. right? Yep. We're, we're avoiding all those cases where there's just this total mismatch between a person who says they have X, Y, Z and, and they can't really talk to it. Well, you know, our system is a real-time transcribing and scoring system. So immediately once a candidate's off the call, the recruiter gets a notification and they can immediately see uh, on their dashboard how well they fit to the recruiter's needs uh, and, and be able to kind of make those assessments. So th there's a, a lot of value there. And, and again, about how to be able to speed up that whole hiring process. If all of a sudden you're eliminating all that kind of initial burden work, that means you can fast track those candidates directly to even to a face-to-face -face conversation. So you're, if you're skipping that whole stage, mm -hmm. think of how much quicker you can then secure those candidates into roles. Very cool. Very cool. Now that's, Sounds all inter interesting to me. If it sounds interesting to one of my listeners, uh, how can they get in contact with you to learn more? Yep, absolutely. So our, our website is www.firstscreenme.com. Uh, and uh, if you go there, you can definitely sign up for a demo. And we're more than happy to, to show you. Cool. A demo of your award-winning software. You got to make sure you say that in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think you won like four awards, right? We have, yeah, no, HR uh, Tech Outlook Magazine and others have uh, have recognized us. So we're, it's a very exciting time. Cool, four awards and counting. Kudos to you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on your on your podcast. Woohoo! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times. Thank you for listening to my show. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, I want to know about it. If you would, go to my blog over at jimstroud.com and leave me a note. I would so much appreciate that. All right. Until next time. Bye-bye.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.